Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Welcome, everyone, to a fresh episode of GTF, Gabriel Talks Football. My name is Aldo Gandia. A couple of programming notes. Tomorrow at 8 p.m. Central, Dan Aguirre and myself in the Tooch uh, will talk about all sorts of Bears things, get a look at the media reaction through our media mashup, our weekly segment. And uh, Dan was at the game, so he can give us a firsthand account of what he saw and uh, and the disappointing loss in Cleveland. And then on Wednesday, we've got two bear shows for you, Mac and Reed at 6 p.m. And then I'm stepping in for John Buffone, who is going on vacation. And I, uh, and along with uh, Danny Shimon and Alyssa Barberi, Barbieri, will give you all the latest from Hallis Hall and talk about the loss and preview the upcoming game against the Atlanta Falcons. Now, we are here to talk to Greg Gabriel. And before I bring him in, I want everyone to understand Greg does not offer therapy. He is going to give you the facts and unblemished opinions. He is not here to help you with your depression. Greg, how did I do? <laughs> Where's the freaking couch? <laughs> Come on. I'm not, a, I'm not a shrink. <laughs> That's right. That's a, I, I think it was two years ago, you know, after a loss, and I started complaining, and, and, and that's what you said to me. I, I'm not here to help you with your depression. <laughs> get, get over it. <laughs> game's over. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I, I was over it. I watched the Bills game after. That made me feel better. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what a win. Huh? What a uh, win. That, that, that was a thorough ass kicking. In fact, they probably showed everybody else how you beat Dallas. Mm -hmm. Just beat the hell out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we'll see what happens because there's some big games coming up with Dallas coming up to have playoff implications. I, I think they've locked in the playoff spot. A oh, lot, yeah. Right? The, yeah. They're, they're in the play. I think they locked it up yesterday. They're in the playoff. The Bills aren't. They got mm -hmm. pretty much got to win out, but they're really playing good football right now. I mean, they just, you know, they had some some bumps along the road earlier in the season, and uh, uh, but now it seems they seem to be right in the ship. But we'll see. There's still three more games to play. Final game could it could be the deciding one. They got to go down to Miami. Now, they killed Miami in Buffalo. I mean, like fifty-two to seven or something like that. You know, uh, so I, I, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And, and Miami may have already clinched mm -hmm. the East in a position, so the game might not be that important to Miami. So, but hey, that, that's three weeks off. Let's that talk is. about that bullshit yesterday. <laughs> so, what was your immediate reaction after the game? After you soaked it all in. Well, that to me, that was on the coaches. Now, granted, the, the players made some mistakes too. I mean, that drop. Now, let's. I'll start with the end, and then go back. Okay. 
I don't put any fault on Mooney. You're that, that, that's a hard play. You gotta, I mean, your reactions gotta be so quick. You don't have any idea where that ball's gonna go bouncing mm-hmm. around. And it's not like you can practice that play because it's just, it, it's a situation. I remember in training camp when Lovey was head coach, we were having a, uh, uh, like a Wednesday night scrimmage where, you know, there's tons of fans and stuff. And then on the last play, they did a Hail Mary and Jerry had a fit, mm-hmm. you know, because it's just so easy for somebody to get tangled up and get hurt, you know? So it, it's, it's a difficult play to practice and it's the bounce of the ball. I mean, could he have gotten it? Yes. Did he get it? No. Was it his fault he didn't get it? Not in my opinion. You know, that, that, like I said, he had, he's just trying to concentrate on what he's trying to concentrate on. And all of a sudden the ball's in his lap and he's moving around and he lost it. But uh, to Tanya, that's a different story. Perfect throw was a touchdown. End of discussion. Um, and then we can go on. I mean, why didn't they kick a field goal, try to field goal at the end of the half? Um, the fourth down play where Justin got tripped up. When I originally saw it, I thought, well, he made it because he, he didn't get touched. But I guess the guy got his, his shoe like three yards before the line, and that caused him to, to stumble. So he was down, you know, foot and a half short or whatever. Uh but that play alone, if he keeps his balance, they probably win the game. But you know what? They didn't deserve to win. When you when you dominate a game for three quarters like that, and then you give it away, and it's the third time this year, and as a couple people have brought up, he's the first coach in NFL history to surrender three fourth quarter leads of 10 points or more in one season and lose those games. First time it's happened in history. It's amazing. And uh, at this point, you know, with three games left, we have to start talking about Matt Eberflus's future. I was hoping that they would win out and that they would be, there wouldn't be much change during the off season. Obviously there have to be some changes, but, uh, let me show you this one play here. Uh, the third down and 15 with just under a minute to go, Greg. Uh, Flus calls a blitz, and he has Justin Jones dropping back into coverage to guard the, that zone area, which is Ben Najoku, the tight end, who's just having a magnificent season for the Cleveland Browns. And there's just no way Justin Jones is going to be able to uh, 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 guard him efficiently. Here it is in slow motion, Greg. Well, he's, he's playing. He's playing zone, but he, number one, he doesn't get enough depth with the drop. But right. who the hell's giving? How many times does a 305, 310-pound defensive tackle drop into coverage, especially in a, in a key situation? Which reminds me, which I sent you earlier. I'm going to read. Before before you do that, uh, Greg, let me let me share this one thing here. Okay. This is from Brad Biggs' column. This is what Justin Jones said after the game about 
uh, about that play. He said, frustrating ain't even a word for this. I ain't going to lie, but I mean, that's what was called. That's what we played. I don't know what to tell you. I guess you hope the pressure gets there before Najoku runs the route and that he did. But, I mean, I'm just doing what the call was. I don't even know. And then Brad Biggs goes on to write, players throughout the locker room seemed peeved about the call in that situation. And I would imagine there are folks above Eberflus at Hallis Hall who have already wondered about the call in that situation. Oh, there's, there's, no, there's no question. No, no question whatsoever. I mean, we've seen television shots of uh, Ryan Poles up in the box and his reaction to certain plays. Mm -hmm. Well, it was probably worse than what we've seen and add some MFs to it, too. And or what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> exactly. So I want to I want to read this. Okay. And I'm going to leave out the first sentence because there was a back and forth. And well, I'll, see. I'll, I'll just read the whole thing now. And, and who is this from? Okay. This is from, I'm not going to give his name. Okay. He is a longtime former president of a club, still involved in league matters. Okay. Good guy. I've known him for years and years and years. Um, knows what he's talking about. I don't always agree with him. I don't agree with everything that he says here. It's his opinion. He's entitled to his opinion, but it's an indictment. Okay. Okay. I had said something to him, and he his first line is, I just didn't see that. In light of the Browns missing four starters on the O-line, you can see on Twitter how early I expressed shock. Huge number of plays they lined up in typical nickel. Didn't even jump in and out to try – to confuse what was coming to the line that had never played together before and most and and most have never played. Honestly, you can check. I said long before the fourth quarter that I've never seen a more clueless D game plan in my life. I didn't even know he had already done this three times in 10 games. Last big play, he actually attacked but dropped a D-line in coverage as the only person within 30 yards of the, of the line on that side. A, <laughs> who drew up that plan? A flag football coach would be fired. <laughs> How about not trying a field goal at half? Announcers and friends at game both admitted conditions were tough, but he had made many from 55 in pregame. What was the risk at 55 there as there was no chance of a return? He is just a low IQ coach, which was what I was told by people in Indy. That part I don't agree with. Okay. Of course, he has also known there for never being aggressive. I agree with that. He is who he is. And if the Bears don't see it, they, really, they will really regret it. I'm actually hoping they don't do anything. And, you know, because he's got his favorite teams. Mm -hmm. But that's that's pretty strong. That's a very strong indictment. Uh, again, this is from a former NFL club president, did you say? Yes. Okay. Not general uh, manager, president. Gotcha. So, um, 
and, and it seems to me that that's a growing opinion. You know, the, the fans have wanted Eberflus out now for several weeks, and after the two-game winning streak, some fans, even myself, were relenting a little bit, saying, you know, maybe this is starting to work. But I, I started the after-the-game show yesterday indicting Luke Getze and his play calling. I thought it was horrendous. And again, like you said, Greg, Players have to execute. There's no doubt about it. But play calling can make execution easier. Yes, no question. That game plan was atrocious from Luke Etsy. I don't understand why they only ran the ball yeah, 10 yeah. times. Oh, my God. I, you know, I, I don't even know where to begin. Because, <laughs> again, the, he always goes back to the, the well a few times too many, one of which was the reverse to, to Scott. Uh, that got hit for a loss. You know, it's he's got no imagination. He's got no feel. You know, and hey, look, I'm not a play caller, so and and I've only coached a couple of years of my whole life. I'm an evaluator, mm-hmm. but I know the game. Uh, I see the comment was on the coach and players. Yeah, there, I mean, some players made some mistakes. But the players are doing what the coaches tell them to do. Mm-hmm. So they execute what the play call is, be it offense or defense. So if you got the wrong calls in. Now, I would have, you know, with, with they had two starters out. They had both tackles in the center out going into the game. Then they lose a guard in the first quarter. So now they got four starters out on the O-line. Mm-hmm. I'd be pressuring the shit out of that quarterback. You know, make that offensive line make the mistakes. Yep. You know, you that that that's the job of of the coordinator to understand that. Yet he didn't change from what the thing was. He could, didn't he know who he was up against? I don't know. Guys that don't play. Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. Um. John Falsetta says it's never Fields' fault. Well, I don't think anyone has said that here on this show. Uh, evaluate oh, Justin Fields' play. Fields after what the third game, but you know, and I, I came back on it, and then I why don't you pull out that tweet I, I had yesterday or post? Um, oh yeah, uh, here it is. Uh, I'm being why don't you read it in your voice <laughs> I'm being totally honest I don't know what to think of JF1 the fact that he has been developed by subpar coaches since the day he entered the league the fact is he's been developed by subpar coaches since the day he entered the league what would he be like if he had some quality offensive coaches since day one I'm not sure anyone can answer and then I said and here's what I came up with and, and why I started thinking about that and I use Miami. And everybody in Miami was ready to write off Tua until Mike McDaniel came there. Yep. Tua's a bust. We got to get rid of him. And then he got somebody with the semblance of a brain come in who knows how to run an offense. Now, in fairness, he was never a play caller because Shanahan, you know, because some people say, oh, you got to have a play caller. No, you have to have a guy who knows and understands the offense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in his case, McDaniels, I mean, he's an Ivy League educated guy. He was a former quarterback. He's ultra smart. 
And remember, we called him on here during the thing, the mad professor when he was with uh, uh, San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> he was up in the box. He, he, but what he did with Tua, who people want to write off just like people want to write off Justin Fields, is remarkable. And so then I started thinking, well, how do we know Fields is, is it can't be like that? Because look at what has been coaching him since the day he started. He was mishandled literally the first day of training camp mm-hmm. as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. You know, so <laughs> he, he didn't get to, uh, developed the right way. Um, then, you know, in year two, got a whole new offense. So now it's his third offense in three years like a rookie year all over again. And on top of that, they stripped the, the team down because they go into tank mode. And, you know, it's like, I can't tell you, and, and just like I said in, in the post, I don't know what he is. And that one, it, it's, it's up to Ryan Poles. He's going to have to think, you know, what, this is what it's got feeling. He's around the guy every day. He knows what his work ethic is. He know how his he knows how his brain works. Mm-hmm. Uh, he probably knows what he's capable of doing. He's been around some darn good offensive coaches and one of the best in the world, Nandy Reed. So it, it's um, it'll be interesting to see what he does at the end of the season. Because, frankly, I don't think it's going to be a long time before we know the answer. Mm. I'm talking no more than a couple months. Okay. They don't trade that pick in March like he did last year. They're taking a quarterback. It's all over. The decision's been made. Wow. I'm getting nervous already. Uh, Um. The Sixth Child says that Fields' quarterback rating was 46.5 against a terrible Browns defense. Wait a minute. A terrible <laughs> Browns defense? That's the number one defense in the NFL. Exactly. It's, yeah. I, I posted yesterday, I said, that defense is for real. Yeah. They are, they are freaking good. So, mm-hmm. and, and they have that, injuries. Well, yeah, they don't have injuries on defense like they have on offense. Right. Their offense is completely depleted. Mm-hmm. And got, uh, Miles Garrett is a sensational player. He's a game wrecker. Uh, yeah, and, he's arguably the best edge player in the league, right? Yeah, and I think that our offensive line did not have their best day, and Tevin Jenkins going down in the middle of the game, in the middle of the second quarter, really hurt the the team uh particularly in the run game so but you can't say that was a terrible browns defense that that team is among the highest rated uh defenses in all statistics take away two or three of their starters it's not going to hurt that much they're six and one at home the conditions were bad the uh coaching for the chicago bears was even worse there's a a lot of reasons that went into that loss and their d coordinator in my opinion is one of the best in the game uh okay i you know i think the world was a guy Mm -hmm. met him a long time ago but 
he failed as a head coach. So what? There's a lot of guys that don't make it as a head coach there, but he's always been pretty damn successful as a coordinator. That's how he got a head coaching job. Uh, but he, he knows how to coach defense. Uh, Braxton probably had his, that probably did have his worst game of the season. So now you got the naysayers. Hey, he has worst game in the season against the best player in the league at that position. That guy makes a lot of people look like dog shit mm-hmm. in a lot of games. There's nothing wrong with Braxton Jones uh, losing Tevin Hurt. I don't even know what the injury was. Has anybody? Has anybody? No, uh, there has been no formal announcement, but it did look like to me like it was a head injury or neck injury. Somebody in yeah, the I chat. Thought, anytime he gets hurt, I think back because that's what he had the surgery on. But looking yeah. at him, I thought he might have had a concussion. Uh, uh, somebody is saying, uh, Doug is saying concussion. Flu said it after the game. Concussion. Oh, okay. So there it is. Okay. Because, they, because you know, when he had this helmet off and he was walking, he looked like he was in uh, Never Never Land. Yeah, exactly. He was definitely woozy. You know, uh, Greg, the offensive line yesterday did look like it could use some more help. Um, I don't know exactly what wrong what went wrong, and I know that was an excellent defensive line by the Browns, but with Tevin's injury history, I'm not sure he's that dependable. I think he's a, he's one of the game's best guards, but I'm not sure that the Bears can depend on him. And then Braxton Jones, I don't think he had his a uh, very good game yesterday. And I'm not saying we should give up on Braxton Jones, but it seems to me the draft should be centered on offensive and defensive line. Your thoughts? I think they need to get a center, but I and I, I've said it several times. I don't want a rookie center, especially with a young offensive line, mm-hmm. uh, because the, the position is just too difficult, and the guys being asked to do too much. Uh, unless through the interview process and the private workout, you find out that the guy has a special mind and is capable of doing things you know, right from the get-go as a rookie. But generally speaking, you know, you'd rather get a, you know, a four- or five-year vet who knows what the hell he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know how I feel about Braxton Jones. Yeah, didn't have a good game yesterday. You know, his season has been outstanding. So, you know, you, you look at the whole body of work. The offensive line, for the most part, has played pretty darn good this year. Uh, teams like to blitz the hell out of, out of the Bears. And, some, and when you're blitzing more people than the line has to block mm-hmm. and people are coming free, that's not on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. That's Part of that's on the scheme, and we've talked about that. You know, they, they never seem to have hot receivers so you can get the ball out real quick to go where a blitz is – you know, have a receiver going where a blitz is coming from, things like this. This is what I mean to I mean. The scheme is good. The offensive scheme is good. It's been proven to be a good scheme at other places, but it's the guy running the scheme that doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, indeed. Mr. Shorty uh, posted this question just before you started talking about Braxton, but the question question is, if the Bears keep Justin, should they draft a new left tackle just because Braxton's contract would align with Justin's? So meaning, I guess the meaning is there, you're going to have to pay uh, Braxton Jones some money 
And so why not, you know, avoid Tell paying him. second year? It, this is this second or third? Second. Yeah, you're right. So Tony his is on his second year. So 2024. You're put a rookie in next year, it makes no sense. You got a guy going into his third year who's going to is leaps and bounds better than he was a year ago. And then you're going to put a rookie in there? No, that, that doesn't work. So a guy like Olu Fashanu, uh, you you think it's better to go with Braxton over yes, a guy like absolutely. the Olu Fashanu, I've done probably eight games this year, did games last year. He's really good. He's not anywhere near the athlete Braxton is. Hmm. Again, he's going against college defensive ends, not Miles Garrett. Mm-hmm. And I and in all honesty, I'd probably take all over. Bashano now it remains to be seen how the league thinks. But uh, you know, Alt's got the genes too. His dad was a freaking all pro. Wow. You know, so oh yeah, is it, uh John Alt was played for years for Kansas City, went to Iowa. Um and I think was a first round pick too. Yeah, yeah. I so think you're right. um no, you take you got to get some more depth. And, you know, if you get lucky with the depth, like they got lucky with Braxton, that's fine. The, you know, I'm losing my train of thought here. And Gakwe's coming out of contract. Right. So you got a decision to make with that. And by the way, I'm watching the game. Remember how in the spring, beginning of free agency, the guy I'm pushing is Leonard Floyd, Leonard Floyd, Leonard Floyd. Yes, yes, That's yes. That's the guy. But he was 31. And, and in all honesty, the Bears may have tried to get him. Mm-hmm. Okay? We don't we don't have the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. But he actually signed for less money than yeah. Ngakwe did. Not a lot. They're pretty close. He's got like 12 sacks. 11 and a half or 12. Unbelievable. And he's averaged over he, – he's averaging 10 a year for the last four years, and he doesn't miss games. Right. And the greatest play that he had this season was in game one when he knocked Aaron Rodgers out for the season. Um, he, had a, uh, he, had, he had a sack yesterday, almost had another one. I indeed. Mean, he, you know, he's skinny, but he still weighs 242, 243, and he's long but he just plays like a wild man. Yep. Plays with really good leverage nowadays too. Uh, Berlissimo sent me this a few days ago and he wanted to get your thoughts on it. Uh, This is uh, Caleb Williams, who a lot of people are saying the bears will definitely take in the first round. Well, against non top 25 teams, he's had 23 starts and versus top 25 teams. He's had five starts. Now the completion percentage is 20% lower against top 25 teams, 70 to 51. Yards passing per game, 317 against the not-so-good teams versus 172 yards in those five games against the top 25. And the touchdown-interception ratio, well, he's got 78 touchdown passes and seven interceptions against non-top 25 and six touchdowns, six interceptions against top 25. What is it about this guy that has turned so many evaluators gaga over his performance? 
Well, first I'm going to say, who are the evaluators that? <laughs> that, that I mean, are, are they real evaluators or are they fans? Yeah. Okay. There, there's a difference there, and I'm not trying to disrespect those people, but they're not professional evaluators. Um, it's it's an interesting question. I think his game, and, and we've talked about this before. His game started to go downhill mm-hmm. in the Notre Dame game. And in fairness to Caleb, I mean, Notre Dame had a great defensive game plan. Uh, They've got an excellent defensive coordinator in in Al Golden. And they forced the issue, and he was in mistakes. But he never recovered from that game. Mm -hmm. So that is, you know, he he continued to play poorly. In the stats that Berlusimo put up there, he didn't have his freshman year at Oklahoma, which was pretty damn good, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, and last year, it, it, I think most of those four games against top twenty-five teams were this year, not last year, not his freshman year. And the big question, and I, I, I know I've said this before, is any team who is thinking about taking this kid has to find out why. Exactly. Okay, and the why is. Talk to Lincoln Riley, but can you trust what Lincoln Riley is telling you? Talk to Cliff Kingsbury, who's coached in, been a head coach in the league, been a head coach in college, um, had Patrick Mahomes in college. Uh, and then I'll say the same thing. Can you trust what he's telling you? You got you to gotta be able to trust what people are telling you, but also find out to the best of your ability what the problem was. Is there something wrong upstairs with Caleb that really can throw him out in that conversation for for number one? Because going into the season and through the first half of, of of the season this year, he was hands down number one. Okay, I don't know if that's the case anymore. And there's people that like Drake Bay. And I'm going to tell you what, I saw somebody say that they that LSU's Daniels doesn't have a good arm. Are they out of their mind? I mean, <laughs> come on. The guy's got a rocket. Um, I mean, he doesn't have a, a Josh Allen arm, but who does? Anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't be a bit surprised if some teams had Caleb third. Drake May first, Daniel second. Oh, yeah. Daniel's pretty darn good now. Yes, and he and he ran a pro style offense uh, at at LSU. I got to do more work on him, but w- what we don't know is you never hear the league talk about these guys. Nobody from the league says boo, and they're not going to. Why should they? It's the analysts. And the people on, on X say this, and, and reality, their opinion doesn't mean shit. Hmm. You know, my opinion doesn't mean shit. I thought I'm picking for a team, it means something, but I'm not picking for a team anymore. So, um, but I think, like with any player, there's going to be opinions all over the board. Mm-hmm. When it's all said and done, Drake may may be the the better and safer player 
He's a pretty good athlete, got a real strong arm, uh, been very, very productive. But he had some struggles near the end of the season, too. So, right. you know, as DJ said yesterday, well, I hope we keep – now, he's, he's got to stand up for his guy. There's there's no question about that. He goes, but I, I hope we keep Justin. He's better than those two guys. And he may well be right. You know, and, and that's – that's the key because here's what you're doing. If you're going to take a quarterback, you're already saying next season shot. Because how many teams have won with a rookie quarterback? Yeah, right. So mm-hmm. throw out next year. And is that fair to some of those other guys? It's definitely not. You know, so it, it, it's going to be – okay, it, it, it's obviously – in in Ryan's polls lap, but if there is a new coach, could be in his lap too. Mm-hmm. And who's his OC, and what's his OC think? That's the key, isn't it? Yeah. So um, a lot of people in the chat room are saying, and I think we've talked about this, Greg, is you know, maybe you target a guy like a Penix or some of the other guys who might be drafted uh, either low first round or second round or maybe even third round if a, if a good quarterback. That way you, have, you don't have a you know, I have a two unless right. you trade down and get a two. Yeah, you'd have to do some manipulation to and, and, and Phoenix might might go at the bottom of one. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always four or five that go in the first round. Knicks could be in that mix too. Um, so, you know, it, it's we're in the middle of December. Mm-hmm. Still got a long, long way to go. You know, and teams, you know, you're going to start start seeing guys say, "Well." So-and-so's got this guy number one, this guy number two. That and, and it's all total bullshit. Yeah. Because teams don't even have a board right now. They got a preliminary board based on the board is based on what's the highest grade in their system. For so you know, but not a final grade. They don't come up with final grades until April. Mm-hmm. Okay. They are teams are very, very methodical in putting grades on a player. And they're not going to jump ahead of the process without having done all the work. Right. You know, and, and get it, it's, it's slow, it's methodical, it's thorough. And like I said, I think I've said this before, coaches haven't even gotten involved yet. And they're an important part of the process. Mm-hmm. Coaches will not get involved until at the earliest next month at the East-West game in the Senior Bowl. And at that point, they probably still haven't watched any tape. They're, you know, some will be down at the Senior Bowl looking or some will be at the East-West or both. And they'll be, you know, looking at some of these guys for the first time. And they're going to have an opinion based on what they see, you know, in person, but they still got to look at, at the, uh, you know, at the tape, develop an opinion there, 
They're going to have connections. They're going to talk to coaches. You know, it, it, I'll just go back, say the same thing. It's long, drawn out, and methodical, maybe too methodical, but that's the way it works. Right. So to get locked in, like Marvin Harrison, I know for a fact there's scouts in the league that don't have his number one, wide receiver number one. They're like so, neighbors. Yeah, and, and so that doesn't mean teams don't. That's, a you know, particular scouts, some of them with very high uh, levels of influence within the organization, got, you know, neighbors over Harrison. Well, Harrison's been like Caleb. You know, he's, he's, he's the Hall of Fame receiver. How can you say that? He hasn't freaking played a game in the NFL yet. Very true. Hey, I want you to address uh, this from Mike Withrow, who is a Tyson Bajan fan. He's been on here many times, and he's talked about, you know, Tyson should get more of it. He writes here that undrafted free agent Browning for the Bengals looks great. He had the preseason starting reps, though, something Bajan didn't get. But in addition to that, a lot of people are saying, how come a, a undrafted free agent like Browning can come in here and immediately play, at least statistically, at a higher level than Justin Fields has played? How do you address people who, who have that argument? Coaching. And, and and Jamar Chase and uh, yeah, you know it, it, it's I mean the scheme is relatively the same scheme because mm-hmm. their their head coach came from LA you know so that 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 scheme has its roots in you know Shanahan McVeigh those those guys so um, you know Bajan. Brown, Browning's been in the – he's not a rookie, I don't think. Uh, no, he was with the Vikings, and he was dropped. He was cut from them, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, Bajan's in his rookie year. I, You know, I think I think Bajan's a fine. You know what I said about him on the show before. I think he's got great instincts. He, he thinks quick. He gets the ball out of his hands quick. I – I think he's got a bright future. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he the answer? I don't know. He hasn't played enough to right. know that. But he played pretty damn good when he played. Well, I, yeah, I think he's made the case that he can and should be the backup quarterback in 2024 and maybe no not. Yeah. No, um, no question. A couple of questions here I'd love for you to address. Uh, Zach asks, what does Greg think about the fifth-year option on fields and the implications of not using it? So this offseason, the Bears have to announce if they're going to pick up the fifth-year option on Justin Fields, which is going to be approximately $23.5 million, I think, the last time I looked, for his fifth year. So that would be the 2025 season he would be paid that. So if if the Bears, like they did, it's, with, gar- it's guaranteed money, and it's guaranteed. <laughs> Absolutely. So, what if the Bears say we're not going to pick up his fifth-year option? What are the implications of that? What does that mean to Same Justin thing Fields with the, with the Giants last year with Jones? Same thing with the, with the Bears a few years ago with uh, Fuller, mm-hmm. the corner. 
he he's ends up Fields is betting on himself in that fourth year, and then he becomes a free agent, and it's and you can tag him at the end of that fourth year, or you can work out a deal. Personally, I'm not picking up the option because of, of what I said before. I don't know what the hell he is. And and I don't think it, and if they bring in a new coaching staff, they're not gonna know what he is until they they have him. And then they're gonna make then they're gonna make a decision. And that could play right into the hands of Justin Fields, just like it did with Jones with the Giants. You know, so but you know, I I I said I'd I was a betting man, and I and there was a prop bet on that. I may I may take that bet that they're not going to pick up the fifth year option. Now I got a question yesterday on X. Okay, some guy said answer this for me because I'm having a discussion with a guy that he said you know the question was the Bears pick up the fifth year option and then they trade him to another team. Are they responsible for that fifth year? And I said, no. The team that traded for him picks up the year. And Absolutely. the NFL, this is, and I was taught this a gazillion years ago when I started in the league at a symposium I went to. In theory, the league does not trade players, they trade contracts. Okay, so. The contract, the player belongs to the contract. The contract belongs to the player. And you're trading his contract. You're trading the money. And so if the Bears and May picked up the fifth-year option on Justin Fields and then July decided to trade him or in September decided to trade him, um, that team that picks him up is responsible for the remainder of the salary that he hasn't been paid. Now you're getting paid on a on a game by game basis. You're not getting paid 52 weeks. You're getting paid 18 checks. So um, now, if you got a contract that's close to 25 million, a team could say, "Yeah, I'll trade for him," but I want you to pick up 10 million of it. Okay. And you can do that to get a deal done, uh, but. In no way, shape, or form are the Bears responsible for the remainder of that contract unless a, a deal was made in that nature that where it's part it's part of the deal. And Greg, I, I just did a quick Google search uh regarding Leonard Floyd because I remember they picked up his fifth year option, but then they decided not to. Yeah. They cut they cut him, and so they didn't have to pay that fifth-year option. So that's available too, isn't it? Uh, or have the rules changed? So what I'm trying to say is, you know. I thought, no, no, I mean, I thought that if you pick up the fifth-year option, mm -hmm. that's a guarantee to the player. Uh -huh. Now, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I thought, that, and that's why you've got to pick it up early. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, I'm looking at the spring. Right. I'm looking at a uh, Gene Chamberlain over at Sports Illustrated on June 5th, 2023. 
uh, wrote about uh, Leonard Floyd. He was talking about at the time, you know, maybe Floyd returning back. Floyd, Floyd played here five years, I think. No, it was four, right? Uh, you know what? I, I don't want to do the research while we're on the air live. I'll, I'll do the research and then we'll talk about it on our next show because I think that is an important thing to, to make sure we're, we're – we got that right is if they pick up the fifth year option, can they then say he played four years? According I'm just going to gonna Google Floyd and I'll tell you how many years he was here. Yeah. 2016 to 2020, according to a couple of other people. 16, in the chat. 17, 18, 19, 20. That's five years. Okay. There you go. My bad. And then they did not, then they let it, they did not offer him another contract. Uh, and the Rams got him on the cheap. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know if they did it at the end, of, either in the off season or during the season, they extended it mm -hmm. and they gave him, you know, pretty damn good money. But then they did cost cutting this spring and, and released him from that contract. You know, but he already got the signing bonus. They had a, a, a cap hit on him, but he pretty, he got just a little bit less from Buffalo than he would have made in salary for the Rams this year. So he really didn't lose any money. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, good player. You know, I remember Teddy Monaco telling me, he goes, people can say everything they want about Safford that he was the reason we won the Super Bowl was Leonard Floyd. He goes, he was the difference in the locker room. I've heard that too. Yeah. Developed yeah, nicely. Yes, yes, he goes. He just brought a presence about him that took us over the top, you know. And then you had him and Aaron Donald on the uh, on the defensive side of the football. Uh, we've got questions in the queue from Hank, Mister Shorty, Ravi, Mike Diaz, uh, Mike Withrow, and Lions Guy. And we'll get to your question in a moment, Lions Guy. But I want to start with this one because I uh, I don't know why Ravi's even asking this. Greg, would a large defensive tackle work in this scheme? I like this guy, Tavondre Sweat. I'm not sure that we can get a larger guy than Andrew Billings. That's our nose tackle. No, Billings, yeah, no. A, a big guy like that, I, I know who he's talking about. No, oh. he's not a fit in the scheme. He's oh. a fit in the two-gap scheme. So he's the Tavondre Sweat is a big guy, but not like a Billings big, but a, a big well, massive. Billings is, is, they say he's 310. I think he's heavier than that. Oh, my gosh. He's, he's, uh, but he's only 6'1". Mm -hmm. So he's short, but he's got longer arms for a short guy, and he's wide. Um, but generally speaking, in this particular scheme, now if you're bringing a different coach with a different scheme, now I'm, I'll say this. Let's just say that they decide to go in a new direction. Be willing to bet that through the draft and free agency and trades, the, the Bears have gone out to redo most of the defensive line with players that fit in this type of scheme. I'm going to say right now that Ryan Poles is going to find a coach 
that if he's an offensive-minded coach, he's going to hire a defensive coach that will play a similar type scheme. Okay, Does it have to be the same scheme? No. But a similar type scheme where you're using the same type of people inside. It's not going to matter that much with the edge people, but I'm talking about the defensive tackles. But that guy from Texas is – you know, you want him in a different type scheme where he can be a nose tackle and a, and a two-gapper. The Bears don't play a two-gap scheme. You know, they're talking when they when they uh, drafted Gervon Dexter. Dexter played in a two-gap scheme in college. And so he never had to play in that attacking one-gap scheme that the Bears do. So it was all new to him because of, of what he did his three years in college. Um but going back to when I was working within this defense, we took all those big monsters right off the board, mm-hmm. you know, because they could not play. First of all, they don't play a nose here. They play a, a, a one technique mm-hmm. for the most part. And you can't. And the way they're asked to play the one, those big guys don't have the athletic skills to do it. Now, if you get a freak athlete, that that's a different story. Then you can get a big guy who's, who's a freak athlete, but most of them aren't freak athletes. In fact, there was the um, – who was the big guy? Because the year we took Tommy Harris, and if we didn't get Tommy, we had to have, you know, some fallback guys. Mm-hmm. And we got lucky. Tommy's at 13. Tommy's the first defensive tackle off the board, yeah. you know, which never happens. Um, but the big guy from University of Miami, New England took him. He was an all-pro. Um, for years and years and years, probably retired about five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, same draft as, as Tommy Harris. And he lost weight for his pro day. I don't think he worked out at the combine because the Miami pro day was maybe 10 days after the combine. And I went down to it. He ran a 5-1 at about 315. But he played most of his career at 350, 340. And um, that's, you know, we had our discussions about him as good as he looked in his workout. We knew that that was kind of a false workout because he was going to get big again. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's what he turned out and he was great, but he played with new England and he played as a pure nose tackle in new England and was one of the best in the business. Vince Wolfwork was the guy that yes. you were talking about. Thank you, Jordan, yes. and the other people that mentioned the name. Uh, and Creighton uh, tells us that Tavandre Sweat is 6'6", 360 pounds. Yeah, he's a massive man. Wow. No, he's a big guy. Uh, another question for you here. Um, Hank Wolfong wants to know, please remind me, they fired Nagy because he couldn't create an offense. Why is Getsy still here? We've seen a lot of firings of coordinators and even head coaches midseason, and the Bears yeah. won't budge from that position, huh? <laughs> I was thinking that yesterday when um, Sean Desai. Oh, my removed. God. What a shock. Yeah. You know, that's, that's Howie Roseman. Yeah. And Howie – probably said this guy's not getting it done then i read some stuff today that players were saying that he's not coaching with confidence i saw that too yeah you know and 
so, you know, Matt Patricia is a pretty good defensive coach. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they may not decide still on the staff. Still get paid. I'm sure it'll be gone at the end of the year. Uh, but they weren't, they, they weren't afraid to do it. And, and how we knew, you know, Philadelphia's stumped the last couple of weeks. And they got to write the ship before they get into the playoffs. And they got some big games coming up. Big. So they made a switch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I already know you talked about this numerous times. Blues, in fact, the guy I was having, the, the former president I was having a conversation with, this was part of our text conversation. Because he said, oh, how did that guy get the job? And I said, he got the job because of the system he coached in. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, you know, that, that Flus was sold on the system or the scheme. And he wanted to run that scheme. And that's one of the reasons Pep knew when he interviewed here that he wasn't going to get the job because Flus even told him, this, this is the scheme I want to run. Mm-hmm. And why did he want to run it? Because he thought that was the one of the hardest schemes he had to defend against as a defensive coordinator. Okay, we've said it. The scheme is a great scheme. It's a proven scheme, but you got to have the right guy running the scheme. Mm-hmm. And he went with the wrong guy, which has been proven over and over and over again. You know, so uh, even if 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 Flu stayed, I'm sure they, you know, he would have been forced to let Getsy go, but you know, after yesterday, you know, might be a, a total house cleaning there. Yeah, indeed. Um, Mr. Shorty reminds us of the last play of the first half where the Hail Mary attempt and uh, there was a late hit on Justin Fields, no penalty called. Yeah, should have been a 15 yard penalty. I've seen that replay a thousand times. At least they get a uh, a 40-yard field goal attempt. Exactly. Now, we don't like to complain about the officiating, but it does seem like yesterday's game was a terribly officiated game. There's the holding call on, uh, uh, on Jalen. Jalen Johnson got held on a, on a run. Yep. Yeah, no, no, no question. And, and the other thing, too, and it has nothing to do with the officiating. Well, in a way, it does. That Hail Mary at the end of the first pass or end of the first half was listed as an interception mm-hmm. and TV ran the replay going into the second half. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the ball hit the ground. So that Justin had coming out of that game two interceptions, but that will be corrected and he'll only be credited with one. Makes no difference in the game, but um, you know, that's there's two or three officials down there. They should have seen that that ball clearly, in fact, it hit the ground and then bounced up into the guy's hands. Mm-hmm. And during the halftime, New York should have seen it and, and made the correction. That well, was- also, it, it, it goes into Justin's stats. The, yeah. The play, yeah. Nothing's going to change. That was as strictly a statistical error. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it in, in reality, he did not throw two picks. He threw one. Yeah. Lions guy says, who who cares? The interception didn't matter just to Fields fan club. And I'm responding, justice, Lions guy. Let's get it right. You know, let's not add, you know, 
bad stats to a player. It's not fair. You wouldn't want to see Jared Goff, uh, you know, be given a bad stat. So anyway, so let's get to uh, his question that he asked earlier. He says, Greg, are the Lions the worst team in the NFC North? Like you said last week, Green Bay lost to the Giants and Bucks. Vikings lost to the Bengals. Bears lost to the Browns, second team to the Browns, second teamers. So what say you now, Greg Gabriel? I, said, I, I posted yesterday. I said the Lions got their head out of their arse. And I used <laughs> the word arse uh, this week. It's about time. Uh, yeah, they played a good game. We played a good game at home. Let's see if we keep it up. I don't think the Lions are very good. But are they the best team in the North right now? Well, the North sucks. So, yeah, they might be the – I don't care what the record says. They might be the best of a four lot. Right. Green Bay surrenders. You notice all, those guys have shut up up North. North or Nobody's saying, boo, you know, they lost two games in a row and they lost to shitty teams. I remember last week I, I posted, I said – Green Bay's going to lose to Tampa. And I got bombarded by, from the cheeseheads about, oh, yeah, I love Florida team's going to come up here. Blah, blah. Guess what? None of them said a word since. Been very, very quiet up there. Yeah, indeed. And, they, and hopefully they will be even more silent after the Bears beat them in week, what is it, 18? 18. Uh, uh, Tareen writes that Brad uh, Spielberger – just tweeted Fields dropped back to pass 23 times in the second half, and he was under pressure on 16 of those 23 dropbacks. What can be done there? You know, one of the things that I was upset with is that there weren't a lot of max protect calls for by Luke Getze for, for Justin. Uh, I took, you know, I'm just trying to learn about play calling and sequencing and setting up uh, – defenses and so forth. To me, I thought that was the worst game Luke Getze has called in his time with the Chicago Bears. Man, that's that's saying something. <laughs> I'll say this, Tori, and, and you can take – and I like Brad. Brad's a good guy. But he works for Pro Football Focus, and that you can take their stats and throw them right out the fucking window. Yeah. They are totally meaningless. What they determine as a pressure and what the league determines as a pressure are totally different things. I've seen stats after a game where they say guys had nine pressures. Like Nate Davis, remember they, they when Nate Davis' first game, they said he gave up nine pressures? Went mm -hmm. back and looked at it, he gave up maybe four pressures yeah. in the game. I, I And I kept saying, I, said to Brad, I sent Brad a text. I said, describe to me what a pressure is. By your and he couldn't do it. I'm not they surprised. I'm not they surprised. Don't know what it is. They don't know what the pressure is. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Nate Davis, uh, B minor says that Nate Davis is garbage, and it is true that Nate had a bad, had game. A bad game yesterday. Yeah, particularly in pass protection, and I'd have to look back at the tape to uh, see what he did with, from a run blocking style. But yeah, he had a bad game yesterday. Uh, Let's see. But some I think more. Fairness, you can say he's played pretty darn good since. Yes. He got back in the lineup. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But you know that's on. Yeah, it's on him if he played a bad game, but part of it too is it's on the coaching staff for the game they call, the game plan they have, mm -hmm. putting him in situations where he's going to get beat. 
Yeah. Uh, Swifties just said that Braxton was awful yesterday. I still like him, but he had a bad day yesterday. And, and yeah, he uh, did. There's no arguing that the offensive line as a whole had a bad day yesterday. There's no denying that. You know, even Darnell uh, uh, Wright, he he had a he, he didn't have a as bad a game perhaps as Braxton, and I think we can definitely say that. But he did not have his greatest game either. Michael Henneman is asking you. I think at one point you said something that led Michael to believe that you might be saying that Flus is gone. Do you think that uh, Matt Eberflus is I'm gone? I'm not sitting over at. Hallis Hall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know, I said it last week. Having spent a long time in my career in front offices, I hate talking about that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it's it's not fair. I get it from fan standpoint. Yeah, because all they want is blood, you know. Um, yeah, and I, I get it. But these people are human beings. They got families. When a coach signs up to be a coach, he knows what he's getting into and he knows there's going to be times when he's going to get heat. I knew there was going to be times when I was going to get heat and he got it. I can handle the heat. But what about the wife and kids? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and they got to go, you know, wife's got to do whatever she's doing, go to work, whatever. Uh, the kids got to go to school. You know how awful school can be when you got some assholes that are right. sitting around you and, and, and saying horrible things. So it, it's just I'm uncomfortable even speculating. You know, I'll speculate that, you know, I thought yesterday, if they won yesterday and they continued to play in the fourth quarter, like they did for the first three quarters, that he probably would be back next year. Because the next two games are very winnable games, mm-hmm. uh, both at home. And then, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Green Bay. So, you know, worst case scenario would have been six wins yesterday. He might come out with eight and be eight and nine if you lose to Green Bay or something. I think, you know, that's a lot better than three. Uh, but now after yesterday and there's the the plain fact he's the only coach in the history of the league that's lost three games in the fourth quarter with double digit leagues leads yeah and and that's pretty hard stat to uh look at you know from a uh, a GM's point of view or an ownership point of view. Right. The data on uh, Coach Eberflus does not look good. There is no doubt about it. The one loss record, the mistakes, and blah, blah, blah. All that data spells uh, doom for Eberflus. And, you know, for the first time ever, I, I heard some mumblings, just like when we were talking about Justin Jones questioning the play call. And That's Brad the first Dick's- time I've heard it right there. Yeah. That was very, very telling. Very uh, you know, telling. Basically, I'm doing what I'm told to do. Exactly. And so, you know, they. it seems like this perhaps – uh, the players are starting to think, well, now that we're out of the playoffs, I can start being a little bit more honest. The fucking coach messed this game up for us. (laughs) I'm I'm ready into it. I'll go a step further. In meetings today, he owes them an explanation. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And if he doesn't give him one, 
that's when you can, because we've talked about this. Going into yesterday, also this team has played hard. They've never put up the white flag. You know, had he lost them? No. But, especially when you heard some rumblings yesterday from some players like that, then it's like he he has to own up to the player. He doesn't have to own up to us. It'd be nice if he did, but he doesn't have to. No. After the, after the game, he, he, he almost blamed the players. He said the rush should have got there. I'll have to look at the tape. That's sort of what Eberflus said. I, I'm yeah, sorry, well, I that, that's horseshit. You know, I, <laughs> you, you know, you you dropped a, a 310, 315 pound defensive tackle into the flat, and there's nobody, and, and you had a, a a a tight end that can run four six or faster. Unbelievable crossings, you know. So come on, yeah. Um, yeah. He, like I said, he doesn't know us an explanation. He owes the team an explanation, and if he doesn't give the team one, mm -hmm. that might not look good. Indeed. Again, you know, who, who knows? Well, no one will find out next Sunday because Atlanta really sucks. They lost to Carolina, for Christ's sake. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Mike Withrow wants to know what your thoughts are on Notre Dame quarterback Sam Hartman. If Paul – <laughs> he's finish. a free agent he might go in the seventh round he's got no arm talent no mobility there's a reason why he went back for a sixth year he had already been told he wasn't getting drafted a year ago mm. he had a free agent grade going out you know he's a okay college quarterback yeah he's got big numbers part of it was the offense he he played at Wake Forest before he got Notre Dame. But, you know, Notre Dame, he started off pretty good against the weaker opponents. He was very, very average from, say, game four. On. I think he would have helped his cause if he would have played in the bowl game that now he's not playing. I cannot game. figure that one out. I mean, it's like, what's the – why is he opting out? That's the last guy he would opt out. He needs all the good tape to get. But first of all, he's going to be like a 26-year-old rookie or Exactly. You know, because he, he spent six years in college. Well, that works against him to begin with because mm -hmm. he's so old. But he's got very, very average arm. You know, he couldn't play here. Yeah. He couldn't play in Buffalo. Couldn't play in New York. You know, any place where it gets windy, he just – he's not going to hold up when you get into the, the bad weather month. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Diaz said that if we if uh, we get it, do get a new quarterback, of course, a new offensive coordinator comes along with that, right? I mean, you know, you you, you can't bring Luke Getze back because now you've brought in a quarterback who might be more suitable to Getze. That the, the fan uh, populace would just go nuts. In my well, opinion. It, it, the fan base can go as nuts as they want. They got no say in the decision. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's be let's be honest about this, but. You know, I, I'm a big Ryan Poles fan. And so, yeah, I, I think he's aware of what the hell's going on. And I think he knows what's wrong. Uh, from a player personnel point of view, I think he's done a, a pretty good, he had a couple hiccups. There's nobody, 
in the league that bats a thousand. Um, but you know, he, he, he more than made up for the, for the one trade with the sweat trade, because that was a big time home run. Oh, love that. I mean, he had a sensational game yesterday. Yes, Why don't you talk did. a little bit about Montez? Because it's beginning to look like he's playing better and better and that the ceiling for 2024 could be he he could be leading this team in sacks. And maybe the NFL is what I meant to say in sacks in 2024. He's got, he's got 13 right now. Right. And he, teams. I mean, they, they ain't too shabby now. When, and when he came in uh, to the Chicago Bears, a lot of people were saying, well, we got to be careful because he's not a sack master. He's great against the run, and he will help with sacks, but he's not a sack master. He's yeah, been well, that's the whole time. I mean, the guy, you got to watch him. They had a pretty good defensive line there now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and not, and, and but he was always in that 7, 8, 9 category. Right. Okay, and now and he had – Six and a half before he got here, and and now he's up to thirteen. So um, I've seen twelve and a half, and I've seen thirteen. He's got, if I know how to count right, it's thirteen, because I saw somewhere where they gave him, they only credited him a half a sack for one of those sacks yesterday, and I'm like, why? Every sack was a clean sack. It was in. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. Um, but I, I, I think the number is 13, and it's 12 and a half, big deal. But he's already having a career year stat-wise. Mm. Mr. Inglewood has a thought that I've seen a lot of in social media. I'm sure you probably have seen it too, uh, Greg. He says, would the Raiders trade up with the Bears for the number one pick and give us Max Crosby and a few picks like the Panthers did last year? I Frankly, Greg, I don't see the Bears paying you know, two defensive ends, $25 million plus. I don't either. Yeah. I don't either. That's why, you know, people say, well, they got to go out and get uh, Hunter from Minnesota. Yeah. And I said, that, that's exactly. Jacob and Fonnie, who writes at Windy City with me, you know, he's he's a big sign Hunter and, and draft Harrison. And I sent him a text. I go, they're not going to do either. Yeah. You know, it's, you've got to, not that there's anything wrong with signing Hunter, but he's going to cost he's going to cost more than Sweat, right? Okay, so it's going to be twenty five plus, and he's going to be thirty years old. Okay, well that's I keep saying this. Go back to see how the man has operated since he got here, and you can figure out what he's going to do going forward. And the only thing he hasn't done, and I know I sound like a broken record. The only key position he hasn't drafted is edge. Mm -hmm. And from a cap standpoint, if he's paying one guy, he wants a, a, a productive rookie and then a vet. Like you could bring back Ngakwe. If you can get Ngakwe again for 10 million, you bring him back. You know, and then and you get a rookie and you got him playing part of the rotation. Then in year two, the rookie's ready to take off. All right. And you get rid of Ngakwe. But they're not going to pay. A thirty-year-old, twenty-five million. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, it, it's uh, Mike Jameson's, but it says Max Crosby is a unicorn, though. Yeah, I agree with you, but well, you've got to. Crosby's a lot younger, but it's still managing your cap. 
Mm-hmm. Now, if you can get, I, I don't know where Crosby sits on his contract. We'd mm-hmm. have to look that. I mean, if he's got a couple years left, you know, then, then obviously there's a uh, a possibility. But are they going to give up their most valuable player to move up? Right. He's and, uh, first of all, do they want to move up? I mean, you know, who's going to be their coach? Right. Max Crosby is uh, 26 years old, 26 in 124 days, according to Spotrack, and he's going to be paid $25 million next season. And then there is a potential out on his contract starting in 2025, where he's scheduled to make $27 million each. Uh, in 2025 and 2026. So uh, between him and Montez Sweat, you would be paying fifty over $50 million for your defensive ends. Right. Maybe it's a good investment, but I just don't see the Bears devoting well, that much money, especially only- if Justin Fields is going to return because you, you need to have if, some if, money. If, well, I'm going to go back and say they're not going to pick up. It, it, Justin, I think it's – more than likely that Justin returns. I also think it's more than likely that they don't pick up the fifth year. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a gamble here. And you know what? He could have a great year and they could lose out because then he could be worth $35 million a year or whatever, you know? And, and you know, that's, that's the way it is. But, you know, will they... I, as, it's, as right now, I still don't believe they're going to draft a quarterback with that first pick. Yeah. Now, obviously, that could change because of we got to see what's going to happen three weeks from now with the coaching situation. I agree. And then, then it's going to be another three or four weeks before they hire somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, Jalen Johnson has played his way into a new contract as long as it's not a ridiculous contract. He's, he's, he's earning money every day. I think every Sunday. <laughs> yes, he is. He's, he's earning money. But that his... sucker's got the worst freaking hands in football. <laughs> yeah, he had another drop yesterday. Now, granted, that would have been a pretty tough pick. Yeah. He's got four picks. You should have seven. Yes, indeed. And and the thing is, he's so young that he's he's entering his prime. And for the Bears not to re-sign him and with the league, you know, passing more and more and more, I, I just – you got to work that deal out somehow, some way. No, I, I, I think he got to, but they've got the tag. And you can always tag him, and actually tagging might be a least expensive way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Here's one of my, and I've been thinking about one of my thought processes on this, and some people might not like it, but, you know, I think Polls is always looking ahead. And the last thing he wants to do is overpay, but he's going to pay the people who play the right positions and corners one of those positions. But still, if he can't make a deal, you notice that Terrell Smith is getting more and more playtime every week. And not only is he getting more and more playtime, guy's showing up. Mm-hmm. Yep, he really is. Great okay, draft. So it's he's a big corner. He's long. He can run. You know, he's a low 4-4 guy. 
He can jump. Do you want to lose Jalen? No, I, I you know, I, I, I would bet my life on the fact that he's going to be here next year. I just don't know if they're going to get a long term deal done and what the terms of that deal are going to be, but it isn't going to be cheap. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Doug Dyer wants to know, what do you think about the idea of Marvin Harrison Jr. and Malik Neighbors being uh, drafted in the first round, and now all of a sudden you have the most loaded wide receiver group in the history of the Chicago Bears, and I'm embellishing that question. <laughs> that's not, that's not going to happen. There's no way you draft two wide receivers, right? No, he's not going to do that. I highly doubt – I think he's going to trade the first pick. Mm-hmm. Now, could he with that next pick take a receiver? Right now, it's at five, but I, unless they do end up, the players end up giving up the like, like the Chargers. Chargers were, were an example of a team that quit last week against Raiders. That was disgusting. Mm-hmm. And if you saw something like that, then I mean, you got to get rid of Fluce then you'd have to get rid of them the next day, just like the Chargers got rid of Staley. Uh, <clears throat> but I think they win at least two out of the next three. And then so they have seven wins. They'll probably be picking nine, ten with that pick. Now you can get neighbors at that spot. You should be able to, if right. an, or or Harrison, because teams might have, you know, as I know, there's there's people that got neighbors in front of Harrison. But your chances of getting the number two wide receiver off the board are pretty darn good. Yeah. And even if you had to go for number three, and you say number three is the receiver from Washington. I think you pronounce his name Odunze. He's pretty freaking good too. Um, you know, there's some really good receivers in this draft, and that brings up another point. If you bring up, you know, the X receiver in this scheme calls for a bigger guy. That's what they prefer, and you know that's why. They made the trade for Chase Claypool. That's why they brought EQ back because they want a big guy playing X. Well, the next guy, his profile for X might be totally different. Right. And so then that big guy isn't the guy that you necessarily, if the guy's a great player, you're going to take a great player. But it's not like you gotta have a six two, six three, six four guy playing the X receiver position. Mm-hmm. Um, you are you are on record as saying no to Brock Bowers. We're getting a lot of people in the chat room saying Brock Bowers would be nice and blah blah blah. Again, tell us why Brock Bowers is someone you don't think the Bears should draft. He's a, he's a at this point, with this team and the roster the way their roster is, he's a luxury. And is he a good player? Yeah, but he's a move tight end. And if you're and and you know theoretically he's going to be a top ten pick. Um, 
and everything right now is theoretical. You know, we there's still a long way to go. And there's too many other holes at key positions, especially after you just paid Cole Komet, who's having a career year. You're not going to spend a top 10 pick on a number two tight end. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that 100%. You know, I, you know people – I'll go back to this and, and just study what the man has done in the past, study what where he came from and what they have done in the past, and then you know what they're going to do in the future. Yeah. And somebody says he's a tight end slash slot receiver. Jay Sanders says that. He's uh, a move tight end. Yeah. He's a move tight end, which it would be nice, as Greg has said, you know, to acquire somebody like that. But we're, the needs are too far. That's a luxury pick in my mind. Again, um, if, if he is, you got a playoff caliber team, and he's the final piece to the puzzle or one of the final couple pieces of the puzzle, do it. Yeah. That then it becomes a sound idea. But right. we don't have a good football team yet. So you're not going to draft a luxury item. Mm -hmm. I've got Ravi, Mike, Jimmy Tony, Gustav3030, and Zach in the queue. Gustav says, I hate it that Greg keeps insinuating a defensive end is a given based on what polls hasn't picked yet. Draft the best player this year. That's wide receivers and offensive linemen. Wide receivers and offensive line, according to who? <laughs> I love it when you say that. <laughs> Come on, Gustav, where's your answer? According to who? <laughs> Mel Kuyper? You're because, friends with Mel, right? Uh, yeah, I've known Mel for 40 years. Um, <laughs> and, and he's a good guy. He says his eyes. Gustav responded, my uh, no, 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 that's <laughs> first of all, that's why you can make trades. If you're mm -hmm. if you, because then you can say, you know what? I want this guy or this guy, but I don't have to take him here. And that's part of your you know, you do all your research. So I'm gonna trade down a couple spots. I can get them there and then I get some other picks. And then you also look at the depth of the wide receiver position. And you look at the depth of the offensive line. How, how deep does that go where I can get good ones? Mm -hmm. You know, so all that comes into the, comes into the uh, equation when you're preparing for a draft. Indeed. Great question here from Zach, and I think this is going to require uh, some study on our part. The question is, what teams might be in the market for the first pick overall? Let me put up the latest updated draft order from Tankathon and see if that can help us uh, determine. I love that word, Tankathon. 
Yeah, isn't that a great website uh, name? Tankathon.com. <laughs> All right, here's the latest draft order. The Bears are at number one because they got Carolina's two and 12 pick. Then that's followed by the Patriots at 311, Arizona at 311. Can you see any one of those two teams wanting that first overall pick? Those two teams with the three and 11 record. Well, New England at two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but well, who's going to be coaching there? Yeah, exactly. They 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 got a quarterback need. Carolina is is, you know, they got their quarterback. Arizona's got a, a, a quarterback need at three. Yeah. Uh then you go down Washington. The next team would be the Commanders. Um you think they're gonna no, roll with no, Sam Howell? That guy's not too bad. Um he's developing. Who's gonna be the coach there? Not Ron Rivera. Right. But who's going to be? Uh, Las Vegas is probably the next team that you know has got to get a quarterback. Mm -hmm. So Las and Vegas. Then maybe New Orleans. So where is your cutoff? Uh, Greg, you know, yes, you're going to have the fifth pick probably. Maybe that could be as low as a tenth pick. Well, I think it's going to be as, as high as five. I okay. Think, because they're, I think they're going to win some more games. Yeah. So, so that's going to go down, but it'll probably still be in the – when it's all said and done, it'll probably still be in the top ten. So would you go as low as that Vegas pick 12 to get – uh, you know, a 2024 first rounder because I'm assuming you're going to get a 2025 first rounder. So, would you go as low as 12 uh, in the first round, trading that first overall pick? And well, again, you got to see how the first it's a hard question to answer. <clears throat> and I'm saying this like a first now guy. Yeah. Who's, gonna, who's in the draft? Can you tell me? We don't know. I hear you. Players players got till the seventh or eighth for the initial commitment. People are teams that are playing in the in the uh, national championship game got until the fifteenth to enter the draft. Now we're seeing names of guys right now, but mm -hmm. there have been guys who have said, "Okay, I'm I'm going to enter the draft," but they don't hire an agent and then they go back to school. So there's a lot to play on that and it's going to be the official list will come out the 18th of January. So that's like a month from today. Uh, that's when we're going to know who exactly is in the draft. And then you can start figuring out because has Caleb Williams said he's coming out. Nope. nope. He says the he's thinking he might not. It, it, yeah. Well, yeah, but Daddy's his daddy hasn't said a word in about six weeks now. <laughs> um, Drake May hasn't said he's leaving. Uh -huh. Right, none of these until they say they're leaving. You can you can think they are, but you don't know for sure. And then once you have your list, then you're gonna then and you get into your your really your first important ranking of players, which is February. And then that could get thrown out the window when you get the medicals at the end of February because there's going to be guys that you could have high that flunk the medical or whatever. And, and you know, late too. 
that, that, that's a top five, top six pick from UCLA. What's his medical going to be? Mm-hmm. And and that's going to, you know, determine how high an edge player goes in, in this draft. Indeed. So <clears throat> until we have all that stuff, you know, we got to let's just be patient and and wait and see what happens because they're going to, you know, they'll line in February, they'll start lining them up. They're going to have, they're going to have a good idea. They know who's going to be in the draft. They know what their preliminary grades are. And they're going to say, well, this, this draft is 15 players deep, you know, style players, something like that. Then they're going to say, so I don't want to go below X and X, you know, a certain point. You know, that's where I'm drawing the line in the sand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Drake May is com- committed last week, according to Doug Dyer, and confirmation from none other than Gustav, who saw it with his own eyes. <laughs> um, okay. Let me uh, get to these last three questions, and we'll get out of here. Uh, Ravi wants to know, what do you think about Bo Nix later in the draft? So if uh, Bo Nix, the Bears, if the Bears acquire a second-round draft pick and Bo Nix is there, would you consider uh, – Bringing him in along with Justin and and uh, and uh, I, I think Bo's got a chance to go in twenty to thirty-two. Yeah. Um, you now he's a pretty good player. Haven't done enough work on him to say exactly. I will say that I didn't like him when he was at Auburn at all. Yeah. And he's played pretty darn good at Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you really, when you're doing a quarterback. You, you know, you, you got to have the all twenty-two film. And you got to watch it over and over and over again. You, I always want to see the end zone view anytime he makes a throw because I want to see what his head's doing that you can't necessarily see on the sideline view. Mm-hmm. So it's it's to say where, and I, I'm speaking for myself where I'd have him. You know, I. Don't know yet because I haven't done enough to think about that. But I also am very high on Tyson Bajan. You know, so I'm not going to, if I know I'm getting rid of fields, hypothetically, then yeah, that I might. Take you know then then I'm going to take a quarterback. Is it going to be the first overall pick? I still might trade it. Would you start Bajent the rest of this year to give him game experience, as Mike is asking? And would if you sort of made up your mind about Fields, would you also consider starting Bajent at least one or two or maybe all all three of the remaining games? You know, that's an interesting question. I don't know if I have an answer, only because contractually, most coaches have the right to put the players they want on the field. Okay, so Ryan Poles can strongly suggest, but Bruce doesn't have to say, I'm I'm going to do it. Bruce mm-hmm. can say, no, I'm playing this guy. He gives us our best chance to win or whatever. So if you know early in the year I said you know 
I'd want to see Bajan get as many reps as it can. But I think now you're to the point is, is you want to get all the tape you can on fields to really make a smart opinion when you have to make that, you know, make that opinion known, not make that opinion known, make that determination known, you know, a month from now or two months from now, because something's going to happen. He's either staying or he's gone. There's no in between. Um, Two more questions. Mike asks, Greg, do you think scouts should go back to the old 50 starts in college as a barometer for evaluating uh, talent? quarterback position now, wait a minute there was no old 50 starts because that means you're playing five full years and starting just about twelve games in four years very few starts <laughs> it's um you know justin field started two full years um lawrence was more like well he he missed some games uh when he was hurt his final year you know, he was somewhat, he wasn't, he was under 30 and, and over 25, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also in that old theory was 900 passing attempts, but you get 900 passing attempts in a year and a half, the way some of these offenses are right now, or, you know, two years max, you know, so that that's easy to get, but it's uh, experience matters. And, and guys like Nix played five years. I think he's got four years as a starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniels has played a lot. Caleb's got three years as a starter. May's only got two. But he's got two full years. And I got to tell you, with the exception of the last four or five games, I'm really impressed with the way that kid plays. Drake May. Uh, Jimmy Tony asked our last questions. Uh, Aldo Bears over under for the start of the season was 6.5 wins. That's exactly what's going to happen. Should we be shocked that the Bears are losing these cl- close games? I'm not shocked. I, I, I think that, you know, this is a team that's still learning how to win. And unfortunately, the head coach has not done a good job of preparing them to finish. Um, I got to believe well, to be fair. Yeah, you're right. You're right at that. But to be fair, this team very easily could have won eight games. They've won five and they very easily could have won eight. Um, so, and I think, you know, all Bears fans know that um, the record is what it is, but is the personnel as we see it, a five-win team or an eight-win team or somewhere in between, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so it's – I still think they went seven. Okay, now I went into the I, – I went in thinking they were going to go win nine, be nine and eight, and that's not going to happen. They won yesterday. It could have happened, but they didn't win yesterday. Um But now, even even if they win the last three, much as I hate, to say, I think I think yesterday really hurt Flukes going forward. 
Yeah, that's how I that, feel. That, as was, well. that was inexcusable as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Gustav says the Bears have mastered the art of losing. And, yeah, and when this season's over and we look back at these defeats, it is going to be uh, like a very bizarre work of art. I mean, it's like a Picasso with all of these weird ways that we've lost games. It's it's for a fan, it's very, very tough. And um, final thoughts, Greg, before we get you out of here. Uh, you know, I, I'm not even going to rewatch the game. It disgusted me so much. Good idea. Pissed me off so much. <laughs> I, I, you know, probably I should, but I'm not going to. Put it this way. I deleted the the TV copy. I already mm -hmm. deleted that. So now the only copy left is, is to get the, you know, watch the all 22. And I deleted the, 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 when I recorded the game yesterday, like two minutes after the game, I pushed the delete button on that. I said, I don't even want to see this one anymore. Um, <laughs> and I'll hold on to what I said. I go, this one's on the coaching staff. I tweeted that out right after the game was over. Totally on the coaching staff. Um, yes, the players made some mistakes but the coaches put them in, in position to make some of those mistakes. And the coaching staff didn't put them in position to win the game in the fourth quarter on both sides of the ball. Perfect way to close the show. It's a good recap of what happened. Oh, here's an even better way to close the show. Evie, my good friend Evie, sends you a kiss and says, hey, Greg, baby. <laughs> don't, let, don't, don't let my wife see that. <laughs> And Gustav, uh, who with his very own eyes, has uh, seen this show a number of times. He says, Greg and Aldo, this has become my favorite Bears talk during the week. Keep up the good work. Uh, Thank I you very much. That. I try to be as honest as I can. Mm -hmm. um, there's a few things I withhold because I just don't think it's right. And there's things, you know, depending on what happens three weeks from now, then I'll, you know, I'll flap my jaws a little bit more. Mm -hmm. uh, only because of of what I've said earlier. It's just, you know, against my nature to do certain things. Absolutely. And we respect that very much. And it's why you've got such a, a loyal following. People understand that you are doing this still with your code intact. And that is respecting others in the industry, the football industry, respecting uh, their privacy, respecting their careers, respecting their family. And so and we, we respect you for that. No doubt about it. All right, everybody. Uh, tomorrow night we are back here with live programming. I hope you will uh, uh, join us. Johnny Santucci, Dan Aguirre and myself. And hey, stay on to I got one thing I want to talk to you about. You got it. And uh, the best way to stay on top of stuff here is to subscribe to the Barroom Network's YouTube channel. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. See you later.